0: Before we begin our Torah study this morning, we want to pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Today I want to talk about a teaching of Yeshua's that appears on the surface to have some inconsistency, and you may have recognized this as as well. On one hand, Yeshua says, let your light shine before people so that they would see your good works. And that sounds like he wants people to see our good works. And then he also says, on the other hand, Pray in secret, give your alms in secret, do your acts of charity and righteousness in secret. Don't do them in public. And so it seems like many people are torn, and I've heard recently on a number of different occasions and different sources, people thinking that the teaching of Messiah is do everything in secret pray in secret, don't pray publicly, um, do your work in secret, don't, don't talk to other people about anything. And so, there is a reduction, and I think it's because there are some people who are caught up in what seems to be this inconsistency, and so they go to this one side of secretiveness or privacy. And I want to examine the apparent inconsistency because I hope that this will help you in several ways. One is to learn how to study so that you can read the Scriptures yourself and you can better divide the word of truth. And even more than that, I hope that it will help you be stronger and more decisive about the actions that you take and the motivations that you take and to make those more and more consistent with the teachings of Yeshua. So let's jump in, and let's start in Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at verses 14 through 16. And it always encourages me if people have Bibles with them. And so if you have a Bible, I happen to have a few down here. If you have old-school Here's the Jewish New Testament. Chris has one. I can see it from here. Or if you have the complete Jewish Bible, that's a great one. Uh, Both of these by our old friend David Stern, Dr. David Stern. A blessed memory. He's passed away. A real influence on many of us. Or if you have the digital Bible tool, Your iPhone or your Android. Who's got iPhone Bibles? Who's got Android Bibles? Good. In the technical world, we're agnostic. Do you know what that means? We don't believe in perfect faith in Apple or Google. They're both all right with us. Matthew chapter 5. Let me ask you a question. Who's the speaker in Matthew 5? Yeshua. Yeah, Yeshua is speaking. And he's speaking to people who are putting their trust in him. And this is what he says, verse 14 You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so that, say that with me, so that, and your translation may not have it that way, so that they may see your good works I want to stop right there. There's a comma in the English, see your good works. How many have a translation that says roughly that? Let your light shine so that they may see your good works. So if you're reading that, this seems like Yeshua is saying, do things in a way that other people can see them. Correct? And there's a reason why you should understand it that way. And that's because that's what he said. But there's a second part. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And glorify your Father in heaven. So you could render it this way. So that when they see your good works, they would glorify your Father in heaven. I think that'd be a fair reading of it. They would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now let's go to chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Who's the speaker here? Still Yeshua. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, comma. That's how many people read this. Some people put a period in there when there's not. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Be careful, don't do it. And so some people are familiar with this and they think everything should be done secretly and privately and invisibly. Ring to the truth. But that's not where Yeshua stops. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. In order to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Don't announce it with trumpets, as hypocrites do in synagogues and on the streets, in order to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, this phrase, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, it's sort of a a poetic phrase because your right hand doesn't know and your left hand doesn't know anything. It's you who know. This is a way of saying, you know, don't, don't try to orchestrate things for the wrong purposes, what's in your heart, what's hidden from others, will be recognized by the Lord. And so he will pay attention to what's in your heart and what you do. But let's look at what is the apparent inconsistency. Don't practice these things in front of others. Do everything in private. That's in chapter 6 and chapter 5 make it all visible so that people can see your good works and your light will shine. So how do we resolve what looks like an inconsistency? And how do we avoid falling into a trap? And it's a real trap that tempts many believers. The trap of being um, totally private about everything. Well, Yeshua speaks not just about this issue of public or private. He speaks about purpose and motivation because certain actions done with the wrong motivation will be polluted in a way. They won't be pure. And so that's why... In both of these teachings that Yeshua is giving, and they're right next to each other, and they complement, they fit together and make a whole uh, instruction. In both of these, there are phrases where Yeshua says, so that, in, or in order that. So let's look at these two because it will help us put together what Yeshua is teaching, and this will equip us in a certain way so that we can have good attitudes and good actions as well. Okay, back to chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is the purpose of making your good works visible, it's so that people can see and glorify your Father in heaven. Now look at chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Do you get that? That's the motivation. I want people to know. Don't announce it in order to be honored by others. What's the motivation here? It's to be honored and recognized by other people. And the Lord is saying, if that's your motivation and you do it publicly, the only reward you'll get is public recognition. You will not get honor from the Lord because your purpose is to get public recognition. That's your purpose. And you'll receive it, but nothing else. So now I think we have some clarity because the main point is not about deliberately hiding our good deeds, it's about the motivation and the outcome of what we do. It's not for the sake of publicity that boosts our ego. So it's fine, everybody needs to be recognized, and we all need the reinforcement, the positive reinforcement that comes from people seeing. Uh, that we worked hard and we did a good job, or something like that. Uh, a thank you of, and appreciation makes a lot of difference. I appreciate it when te- people tell me good things. It encourages me, and I tell people, Thank you, you're encouraging me. I need encouragement. Everybody does. But there can be this other motivation that's a distortion of that, which only wants recognition and is doing things only for recognition so that if it's required to do something secretly where no one will notice, the person wouldn't want to do it at all because they want it to be known. Or if they do know, if they did it in secret, they have to tell others that they did it. They have to make an announcement. They have to make it clear. This is what Yeshua is talking about. It's not it's not to boost our sense of worth or our ego, it's to honor the Lord, and to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And so it's not really about public and private things, it's about our motivation, is it to honor the Lord or to bring honor to ourselves? And if we want honor for ourselves, we may get it, but it may be limited. And if it's to bring honor to the Lord, you know what? He will receive it, and he will rejoice. Peter, the Apostle Peter, writes about this also. And Peter is writing in 1 Peter to Messianic Jews in the diaspora. 1 Peter 2.12, he speaks about some of the challenges that they face being in the diaspora, living among the nations, and being treated with contempt and dishonor. And he says, Always let others see you behaving properly, even though they may still accuse you of doing wrong. And then on the day of judgment, they will honor God by telling the good things they saw you do. So this connects to let your good deeds shine before others. And Peter is speaking to to Jewish people who trust in Messiah, and they're living in the diaspora. And he's saying, basically, you may face anti-Semitism. Don't be surprised. You may face hostility that's against Messiah. Don't be surprised. You may face slander. You may face false accusations. But he says the day will come when your good works will speak. And those who were hostile will see and honor God, and they'll talk about the good they saw you do. And so that victory will come at some point. And so we have to learn and we have to take to heart these things so that we can have good motivation and good action as well. Now, if you think the world will never be anti-Semitic, good luck with that. And if you think that if you do good, everyone will like you, good luck with that. And if you think that if you persevere in doing good, that, that people will stop slandering you or making false accusations against you, Good luck. That's not the world that Peter knew about and that he was training people to be in. It's not the world that the Jewish people have experienced at all. And it's not the world of the true followers of Messiah. The fact is there are all sorts of false, evil forces at work. And that's the world we live in. That's it. So, if you're trying to get to the world that doesn't have that, you will after you die and are resurrected, but not before. You hope for it, but you won't get it here. So, sober up, be strong, better to know this than to have the illusion that if you just do good, everyone's going to like you. They're not all going to like you. And sometimes you may not even like yourself. But I want to encourage you, don't be stuck in all that stuff. It's not about popularity and ego boosting. It's about honoring the Lord. It's about serving the Lord. It's about making your life count before the Lord. It's about being a God pleaser who finds what pleases God and sets your heart on doing that. Not because you're trying to earn merit in the eyes of other people and not because you're just trying to follow the rules but because you genuinely love pleasing the lord even if you don't do it quite right some of the time the psalmist speaks of this in psalm 105 verses 1 and 2 "O deny give thanks to the lord call upon his name" Make his deeds known among the peoples. Make his deeds known. So don't keep it in, tell others. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonders. Make known his deeds among the people. Now, I'm going to say two things that I'll, I'll... be kind of blunt, but I'll use terms that I think almost everybody will grasp. This is not about Bible thumping. Do you know what Bible thumping is? Oh, okay. If you don't know, it, it, it's born out of this image that you've got your Bible, and you're talking to someone, and you're going, you need to be like this. You thump on that Bible, thump, thump, thump. It's not about Bible thumping. And it's also not about pushing things down people's throats. Just making more and more effort to jam it down their throats. You know what happens when you try to push things down people's throats? They choke or they throw up. There's a principle. If people are resistant and you push harder, they'll resist more. Anybody experience resistance anywhere? Anybody ever try to push harder? I've had these moments where I realized there's resistance and I pushed even harder and at the moment that I began to push harder, I had that, that moment that switches into slow motion. It's like words come out of my mouth, it's, and I see them, you know, and they're floating through the air. And this is what I'm trying to do. Ah, grab them and pull them back because I know what's going to happen Next. They get to the person's ears, and that person is more resistant. And so it shouldn't be a mystery to us that if we, if we push hard on the resistance, it will push back. That's what happens. So you have to find other ways to be gentle, to be firm. But there's another way of letting your good deeds shine, and that's you do good anyway not to manipulate people, but for love and for the sake of goodness. And this is really about how to live in a more better way. We're in the more better season. A city said, on a hill is shining. Good works are visible. Good deeds can speak for themselves. And all of this, I think, can help us deal with an age-old question that you may not um, have thought about for a while, but uh, you may have enc- some of you may have encountered this just recently. And I'm sure almost everyone has been asked, it, asked this question at some time, and you may have asked it yourself. This is the question, where was God when such and such happened? Where was God when this terrible thing happened? Where was God when the Holocaust happened, as an example? And if you think about it, that person is saying, what's visible to me is the bad that's happened. But I don't know anything about the good that's happened in the name of the Lord. I haven't seen it. And if we retreat into the privacy cocoon or the believer's ghetto or the cloistered world of believers, then other people will not see the goodness of the Lord. And if we think it's about telling people and teaching people and that's all we have to do, I want to tell you, that's not all we have to do. We have to live in such a way that it is visible and palatable, even if it's not initially desirable. But we have to be able to answer the question where was God in our life during times of difficulty? And you know, it's important that we can say, God was here with me. God was doing good on my behalf when I needed Him. God was doing good. We kept honoring the Lord, and He kept doing good. And we can say, I was suffering, and God was with me when I was suffering. He didn't abandon me. He didn't leave me alone. He suffered with me. I didn't suffer by myself. And we can say, God was was with us, giving us courage. And in the weeks to come, our team is going to be sharing with you some stories of courage and faith but I want to move right now to a second part of the study. It has to do with motivations and actions, and it's based in the story of Naaman, or Naaman, the Syrian leper, which we read about last week. And I hope his story is very familiar to you. It's an important story. Yeshua knew the story well. He refers to it. It's described in Luke 4:27. There were many in Israel with tzadat, which we translate leprosy, but it was like Leprosy that had a spiritual dimension to it. There were many in Israel with Zarat in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So there were many people with this problem among the children of Israel, but only the Syrian got cleansed. And so just as a reminder from last week, the Syrian general Naaman was healed of leprosy through the ministry of the prophet Elijah, and the healing took place during a period when there was great conflict between the people and the governments of Syria and Israel. So they were hostile towards each other. But we're going to pick up the story after the healing in 2 Kings 5.15, It says, after the healing, then Naaman returned to the man of God, to Elisha, with all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant now. And I want to remind you that Naaman brought with him a lot of gold and a lot of silver, and a lot of quality clothing, all as a gift for Elisha to motivate Elisha to pray and bring healing to him from his leprosy. Verse 16. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will accept nothing. Naaman urged him to accept it, but Elisha... Refused. You know, there are some cultures where you have to refuse the first time. And some cultures where on the second time it's offered, you can accept it. There are other cultures where you have to wait until the third time. And I had a friend from the former Soviet Union who was traveling in uh, Europe, and they were accustomed to refusing three times. And so they were offered food to eat at dinner uh, by a French family that they were visiting with, and the person said, no, thank you, because it was their understanding they would be asked again and then again. But in France, you ask once. (laughs) And so the person refused and (laughs) told me later, I went hungry that night, (laughs) (laughs) and I learned not to refuse. So I don't know if something's going on like that where Naaman thinks if he keeps asking, then Elisha will accept. But he doesn't. He keeps refusing. And then it switches and Naaman says, well, if you're not going to accept anything, would you let me be given two mules' load of earth? And there's no explanation of this, but my understanding is he is saying to Elisha, would you give me some, some of the dirt from the Holy Land that I can take back to Syria? So that when I'm praying, I'm standing on holy ground. Sounds like it to me. Because of the next part. If not, please let your servant be given two mules' load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering nor a sacrifice to other gods, only to the Lord. And so something has happened in Naaman. He's no longer going to worship the gods of Syria, he's now ready to worship the God of Israel. And Naaman is straight, and he's saying he has a heart to worship God. And I think he literally wanted to take some of the Holy Land back. And then verse 18, and this is a very powerful thing that Naaman says in this verse. Regarding this matter that I'm about to tell you, may the Lord forgive your servant. When my master, the king of Syria, goes into the house of Ramon, who is one of the false gods of Syria, to worship there, and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the house of Ramon when I bow down in the house of Ramon. Do you understand the picture? He's a general. He has to accompany the king into the house of Ramon. And when the king is bending his knees and bowing down, to the god Ramon and the general Naaman is with him because he's still general and he still has to attend to the king. He says this, may the Lord please forgive your servant in this matter." And I like this because Naaman understood he was going to be facing some awkward moments when he went back home. And he gave serious thought to what was ahead. And then he told Elisha about the conflict. He didn't try to conceal it. Very important that he opens up this because he's being honest and thoughtful at the same time. He's not concealing the issue. He's not trying to misdirect Elisha about it. He's try- not trying to make himself look better. He's being very candid. And he's saying it this way, I am now loyal to the God of Israel and only the God of Israel, but I'm also going to be in an awkward moment where I'm going to serve my king who's not loyal to the God of Israel. But I'm not going to be worshiping that God, but I'm going to be a faithful servant. And it doesn't quite feel right and it doesn't look right, so please forgive me. And Elisha said to Naaman, Lech lef Shalom, go in peace. Two words. So Elisha could have said something else, he could have been angry with Syria. He could have been upset. He could have said, hey, Buster, you said you repented and came to the Lord. You can't go into that temple anymore. You can't do this. You can't do that. He could have done a lot of things like that. But he's decisive and he's concise. Elisha has these two very powerful qualities, and he responds simply with grace towards Naaman. And it's important to recognize that Naaman was healed by the Lord, and that was an expression of grace because Naaman had come to Israel to get healing, and he was an adversary. He was a military leader, and his people were in conflict with the people Israel. There was hostility. There was banditry. There was slave stealing and all sorts of stuff going on, looting, looting. But Naaman humbled himself and he came to the prophet of Israel in the land of Israel and was healed by the God of Israel. And that was an expression of God's grace at work because no one could have expected the Syrian general to do that. But it's in Elisha's heart, God's being gracious. And so he says, go in peace. So that's part one of the story. The next part, is difficult. So Naaman went some distance from Elisha. Verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, so this was in his mind, behold, my master Elisha has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, the Syrian, by not accepting from his hand what he brought. My master, Elisha, gave him a break. He didn't take any of the gifts. He didn't accept any of the money, any of the valuables. And then he says this, As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. And so Gehazi pursued Naaman. And I think there are two justifications or rationalizations that are expressed here. One is... Gehazi says, my master has spared this Naman," And the other one is, as the Lord lives. And so these are justifications and ways that Gehazi is thinking and rationalizing. And he's using, he's using the generosity of um, Elisha as sort of an excuse or a weakness almost, an opportunity for him, Gehazi, to take advantage of Naaman. And then he says, as the Lord lives, you know, so he adds this religious language. Have you ever heard people do that? They add a little religious thing to an ungodly thing, thinking that's okay, then it's all religiously godly. it's, It's icky. So when Naaman saw someone running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, is everything well? And Gehazi said, everything is well. My master has sent me. Now ask yourself a question. Was that true? No. My master has sent me, saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. So, let's pay attention. Gehazi's words misled Naaman. That's one part. But the other part is they were carefully chosen to mislead. He chose these words carefully in order to manipulate Naaman to give him the stuff. In the same way that Naaman carefully chose his words to describe the awkward situation he would be in, but he was trying to be candid, Gehazi carefully chose his words, but they were carefully chosen to mislead, to mislead in order to get what he wanted that he wouldn't get if he were straightforward. Verse 23. They have the effect. Naaman says, be sure to take two talents of silver. So I'll give you twice as much as he asked for. As for one talent, he says, take two talents. And then it goes on. And he urged them and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants and they carried them before him. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and deposited them inside the house. He sent the men away, and they departed, verse 25. And then Gehazi went in, and he stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi said, nowhere. Your servant went nowhere. So Gehazi uses the language of respect, your servant, rather than I, didn't go anywhere. Your servant went nowhere. But it's not genuine, it's not respect, it's a lie. And then Elisha says something, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? And it's interesting how Uh, how scholars and um, the commentators have tried to work with that. Like, what does that mean? And there's a Targum that paraphrases it this way. By the spirit of prophecy, I was informed. So it's a way of saying, I'm a prophet, and the spirit of prophecy, God Almighty, told me. What happened?" I think that's powerful. And then he says, is it a time to accept money and to accept clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female slaves? And and some commentators have, have put it this way, that Elisha said, was this a proper occasion for such behavior? and adds these thoughts. Gazi, you should make an effort to learn how to handle such matters, because that's what it means. Is this a proper occasion? Don't you know how to handle such things? One goes on to say, you're among the prophets. You have to learn the ways of the prophets. What are the ways? The ethics. What are the boundaries of the prophets? You're serving among the prophets. You have to learn you have to take seriously that you have to learn these things. And Targum inserts an explanatory comment. And you thought in your heart to buy olive yards and vineyards and sheep. That's what you wanted this money for. And so there's a confrontation, and it's not a comfortable confrontation. but its one purpose is to uncover the lie and the false motivation and to deal with it. That's what makes it uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable to be in that situation, isn't it, when someone is lying to you and you know it? And if you call it, knowing the issue of um, resistance, if you call it, many people will just, they will just keep going. They'll keep denying and denying and denying. But here's where it gets really complicated. Verse 27, Elisha says, Therefore the leprosy of Naman, that's a lot, that spiritual affliction will cling to you and your descendants forever. And so he went out from his presence afflicted with leprosy white as snow. Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Now here's an additional note that if you keep reading in 2 Kings, you'll see that Gehazi kept serving with Elijah, with Elisha rather. Even having this uncovered, he didn't run away. He stayed. Even being afflicted and marked, he stayed. Um... He accepted it and kept going and tried to learn something from it. It's a challenging story. Well, I want to close with this thought that our motivations and our actions do work together and both are important. And sometimes it seems like motivation is the most important thing, and sometimes it seems that action is the most important thing. But always there both important, sometimes one more than the other, but they're always important. And so I want to pray for us that that we will be decisive ourselves, and we will be insightful regarding these matters, and that we ourselves will be more courageous and set our hearts on following Yeshua, who is the author and the finisher of our faith so that we can be straight if we find ourselves in an awkward situation, like Naaman was straight. I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. Let me tell you what it is. Very straight. And people who do that kind of straight talk are much to be appreciated and valued. Better to be like that than Gehazi, who couldn't talk straight about what he wanted. Who couldn't say to Elisha, "Um, hey, there's an opportunity I've got to buy some vineyards and some stuff. Is it okay if I go to Naaman? And you know why people often don't ask for permission? Because they think they'll be told no. And they don't want to be told no. You know why people often mislead? Especially when they carefully choose to mislead. It's because they don't want to be uncovered. They don't want it to be recognized, what they did. They're trying to hide it. That's the purpose of misleading. Don't be naive about it. That's the purpose. So what do we learn? The attitudes of the heart are connected to the actions. They connect, and we need to be candid with the Lord and honest with ourselves and face challenges that we face and deal with them and be strong and be decisive. And if we make mistakes, we can fix them. And we will make mistakes. Who makes mistakes besides me? Who makes lots of mistakes? Me and, and you. We do. But we have a heart to be corrected and to be taught. And that's the key. And we have a desire to be candid so that we can bring honor and glory to the Lord. Well, that's where more better comes in. More better comes in when you say to the Lord, I'm looking to you to do more than I ask or imagine. And then we expect and we receive that from the Lord. Lord, thank you for doing good beyond what we could ask or hope for. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to close right now with Aaron's blessing. And for those of you who are online, would you consider standing with us financially? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving for all the details. Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, amen. Amen. Hope you can join us for the bagel oneg. Shabbat shalom, everyone.